The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de church people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. After a fire on April 15th of 2001, the piano was given to my mentor who stored it in a barn. This was the first piano that I restored in my piano business. And I was just moved by the fact that it had been destroyed by fire. When my mentor said, this is the piano from the United Methodist Church that burned, and he gave it to me, my thoughts were that how could I restore and, and bring this piano back to life? As I wiped it off, and I was so dirty, <laughs> charred hands, everything was black, filled up a trash can with all the burned material, took me two months to take the piano from the time that I had stripped it down to wiping it up and putting on a new coat of Varathane. During the project, halfway through it, my friends called me and said, we would like you to play at our wedding. What piano I would use at Highlands? They don't have a piano. So I decided that I would take this piano that I was rebuilding and bring it in and play on it. I played the wedding and I decided that this piano would stay here. The creative music on the side was Jill's wonderful creative idea. I have multiple pianos. And the reason that I decided on this piano was the fact that it came from a church and I wanted to put it back in the church and that's what was put on my heart. I continue to tune the piano and maintain the piano for Highlands and I know that when I tune the pianos that that is just a part of what God gives us to have in our daily worship and in our services each week. Well, if you didn't know that story, uh, I, I wanted you to know that story. John is here today. John, thank you so much for your gift. <laughs> And I want to thank our own Von Reina Films, too. Also, um, Angie and Hernan and uh, Esty, I think, had a role in all of it, too. So we thank you for helping to, to tell that story in such a, a great way for us this morning. Uh, I'm going to get to the piano in just a second. But first, I want to remind you that we're in this epic series. And last week, when we left off on God's story, we left on kind of a sour note. Uh, things had taken a turn for the worst. Humans had sinned, and they'd lost paradise. 
They'd become subject to death and alienation and were utterly speechless before God. So let's put the four movements of God's story that we're looking at up on the screen so we can see them. Two weeks ago, we talked about creation, and we talked about the original goodness of all that God had made. And then last week, as I, as I talked about, we discussed the fall and how it created this war within us where these two natures were just constantly at odds with each other. The one nature that is created in the image of God and the other sin nature that is seeking to destroy us. And we talked about how sin separates us from God and leaves us in a place where we cannot help ourselves. After the fall, humanity was in danger of being lost forever. And this brings us to the third movement in the story, redemption. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the video that we just watched is a story of redemption. We saw how this piano that had been damaged in a fire and unable to help itself was rescued, was cleaned up, and it was, the ability to play music was restored. And we saw how its purpose, it got its purpose back when it was replaced back in a church to help people sing and praise God. You know, since the day I first heard the story of this piano, I have just marveled at how closely the story of the piano goes along with our own stories. Because we have all been burned or broken. We've been damaged in some way in our lives. And we're unable to help ourselves. We need somebody to come to our rescue, somebody to clean us up and to restore all those parts of ourselves and our lives that have been lost. And that's exactly what God does in this third movement in the story, the story of redemption. In this story, God reaches toward humanity and seeks to bring us back to himself because he desires to be in relationship with us. And you know, a huge portion of the Bible is about this story. I mean, if you look at it, this here, this, this page, this is, this is God creating the world. And then we come to the next page and we see humans messing it up with the fall. And then the rest of it is the story of God reaching towards humanity to redeem and to restore us. And so today we're going to talk about this redemption. And it, this is a messy story. The, the story in the Bible, it is a messy story because humans are often messy. But through it all, God remains consistent. He remains good and forgiving he remains holy and pure, slow to anger. This morning, I want to take us on a quick guided tour of the rest of this story. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, I'm just going to look at some signposts along the way uh, for us to see God reaching towards us with redemptive purposes. And I hope that along the way, you will see God's heart for humanity. So we're going to begin by looking at Genesis chapter 12. The story of the call of Abram. Just three verses at the beginning of the chapter. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so we see this word blessed, 
blessing, bless, continually repeated in this passage. See, after the fall, if you look from Genesis 3 to Genesis 12, you see humanity on this downward spiral, just going in the wrong direction. It's, it's a story of murder and betrayal and pride and disobedience. It sounds a little bit like the plot to a summer blockbuster, doesn't it? Coming this summer, a tale of murder, betrayal, pride, disobedience. Critics are calling it the summer's guilty pleasure. And you thought the Bible was boring. (laughs) I'm making light of this, but it really is no laughing matter what was happening for humanity after the fall. The The result was that the human race was in grave danger. But God, and God could have chosen to just wipe the slate clean, and he could have just been, been done with all of us. But instead, he chose blessing. He chose grace. He chose redemption. He chose Abram and promised that through him, everybody, the world, would be blessed. If you're not familiar with this story, then it's helpful to note that Abram became Abraham, who was the father of the entire nation of Israel. And the rest of the Old Testament is really the story of his family. And in this story of the call of Abraham, we see God taking the initiative. We see him not waiting until humans got everything together, but God, the one who had been offended, the offended party, reaching towards the one who had hurt him, that had gone against him, to bring them back to himself. God chooses humanity not because we're worthy, but because he desires a relationship with him. So then we get to this next big signpost in the story of redemption. I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 3 next, the story of Moses. And Moses, on this day, he was walking through the wilderness. He, he was tending a flock of sheep, and he all of a sudden saw a bush that was on fire, but the flames were not consuming the bush. And so he walked over to it, and God spoke to him out of this burning bush and told him to take off his sandals because this was holy ground. And so Moses did that, and he listened as God said that he wanted to redeem his people, Abraham's descendants, who had fallen into slavery in Egypt. And here is just some of what he said in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. The Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So God sends Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And that's exactly what Moses did. Moses went and he confronted the Pharaoh and he led his people to freedom. And so in this story, we see that God's redemption is about bringing us freedom, not just from literal slavery, but from slavery to anything that, that keeps us in shackles, those things that we keep going back to that are hurting us and, and weighing us down. God wants to free us from those things, and that's what his story of redemption brings. Later on in Moses' life, he, he went back to the wilderness, this time with the, the entire nation with him. And God met him again there and called him up on a mountain where he received the law, the Ten, 
<clears throat> excuse me, the Ten Commandments. Now, most people think that the Ten Commandments are God's way of controlling people. But that is not the heart of what God's law is all about. God's law was given because he wanted to redeem his people to a new way of life, a way characterized by love for God and love for others. That's what Jesus told us the law was all about, loving God and loving others. So even God's commands are meant to redeem us. They're him reaching towards us, wanting to pull us back to him. Let's skip ahead again, and we'll see another signpost in the story, this time through the life of David in in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, David was the second king of Israel, and it was during his reign that God began to promise that there would be another king that would come from David's line, and that this king would bring about a redemption unlike anything that had been seen before. And here's what God says to David through the prophet Nathan beginning halfway through verse 11 in chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up for your offspring after you, whom shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, some of you are listening to that, and you're going, wait a second. I want God to make that promise to me. I want him to promise me a house. And can I make an order? Can I get, like, granite countertops and a nice open floor plan and a three-car garage and great artwork to hang on all the walls? That sounds great. Well, that's not the kind of house that God was talking about, is it? He was talking about a royal house, a line of kings, and, and this one king in particular that was going to do remarkable things. And then we read throughout Scripture in the Psalms and the prophets, they begin to build on this promise of this Messiah, this coming king who was going to put an end to corruption, bring about real peace, bring about true justice and equity. And this king that was promised in the Old Testament is the one that had the power to bring this incredible redemption. And so all that brings us to the New Testament. So far, we've looked at the Old Testament story, and we've seen God reaching towards broken humanity, trying to pull them back to himself. But when we get to the end of the Old Testament, we see that there is still a chasm between humans and God. Humans have received God's law. They've they've received God's promises but they still can't get to God because every single one of them has messed up in some way. Like the piano that has not yet been rescued from the fire, they needed somebody to come and rescue them. The New Testament shows us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises and of all the stories of redemption in the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of the promises made to Abraham, because through him, all nations will truly be blessed. And once again, we see God reaching towards us. Even though we have wronged him, he is the one who takes the initiative. He is the one that steps out and bridges the gap. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of the law given through Moses because the law taught us how to live rightly before God. But Jesus makes us right before God even when we haven't lived perfectly. And he fulfills the promises made to David because he is that coming king who came to restore God's earth. God's kingdom is here today working for justice and goodness and equality and an end to oppression and corruption. And so our final scripture reading this morning comes from the New Testament, and it tells us, it speaks of what Christ has done. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. I actually read some of this last week. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed, and it is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's the good part. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Christ bridges that gap between us and God, and he bridges it with the cross. He alone makes us worthy to be in God's presence. He alone redeems us. We cannot do it alone. We need him. Now, people who hear this message often fall into two camps. I get the sense that there are two camps in this room today, two different kinds of camps. Um, you had a, there was a lot of cheers for the Broncos when, when we said that. Um, and I know that Kevin back there on sound is a Broncos fan, and uh, that makes me a little nervous up here as a Seahawks fan. But, um, <laughs> and I, it also makes me nervous that there's so many 49ers fans here too. <laughs> but I, I, I digress. I was actually going to talk about two different kinds of camps. One, <laughs> One camp, when they hear about God's redemption, they say, no way, I can't be redeemed. I am not good enough. They say, I am not worthy. And you know what? They're right. They're not worthy. But God redeems them anyway through Jesus Christ. Jesus took his, our sin upon himself so that we could be presented before God pure and holy. But the other camp says, I am totally worthy. I am a good person. I have never murdered anybody. I've never robbed any banks. I've never committed fraud. I am a good person. I am doing fine on my own, thank you. I don't need to be redeemed. They might even begin to feel superior and look down at those people who who have done wrong things and, and have done bad things. But we may not be as superior as we think we are in some cases, <laughs> pretty much in all cases, actually. You know, there's this funny story about a guy who thought he was superior to others that I came across this week. It, his name was Bishkov. He was a 19th century European biologist, and he set out to prove that men were mentally superior to women. He ran some experiments uh, for over a number of years where he would take uh, the brains of people who were deceased and he would weigh them. And so after years of measuring the, the weights of brains, he came to um, the conclusion that the average man's brain weighed 1,350 grams. And the average woman's that he had was 1,250 grams, 100 grams less. Now the women here know that, that if a man's brain is heavier, it's just dead weight, right? Right? <laughs> 
That's not what Bishkov said, though. <laughs> he said, this is definitive evidence that men are mentally superior to women. And he spent his whole life testifying about this. And as a true scientist, he said, when I die, in his will, it, it specified that when he died, his brain needed to be added to the display uh, of all the brains that he had, this, um, this great work that he had done. And the post-mortem examination revealed that his brain weighed 1,245 grams. <laughs> Five grams less than what he, the average woman that he had come across. Don't you just love justice like that? <laughs> he claimed superiority based on kind of his own scale of, of measuring things. Uh, only, to find out, only to find out, or we found out later, that, that uh, he wasn't quite as superior as he thought he was. Well, this is exactly what the book of Romans warns us against, uh, about feeling superior and thinking that we are better than other people. We read from the third chapter of Romans, but Romans, if you go back to the beginning, uh, you see that there were two, real, two really groups. There were two camps within the Roman church at this time. There were a Jewish people who had come to faith in Christ, the Jewish Christians, and then there were Gentiles, non-Jews, who had come to faith in Christ. And the Jews had a tendency to feel like they were superior. They were born into God's people. They were born into superiority. But, and then as you read the, the first chapter of Romans, it gives this whole list of sins that the Gentiles were committing. And you can almost hear these Jewish Christians saying, yeah, that's right, we're not like them. They deserve God's judgment. They are terrible. We are so much better than them. And then you get to the second chapter, and this is what Paul says. Therefore, you have no excuse. He's talking to the Jewish Christians now. Whoever you are, when you judge others, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing. It was shocking to read those words. These were the good people. But, but Paul recognized that he was one of the good people himself. But he recognized that the best things that he had ever accomplished was like filthy rags, um, in comparison to God's glory. We may, somebody may stand on a mountain and look down at somebody else and point at them, but they don't realize that they're both in the same condition when you're trying to reach for the stars. Neither can reach them. No one is holy. The person who feels unworthy and the person who feels entirely worthy are in the same place. But this is where the good news comes into play. Because... God came to redeem not the righteous, but the wicked. God came to redeem all of us. This includes thieves and addicts and liars, but it also includes people who are law-abiding citizens, churchgoers, and pastors. And God does this all for us apart from the law, like it said in Romans 3 meaning that it's all about God's grace and not about what we have done. Our redemption is made possible by Jesus Christ dying for us, taking all of our sins upon himself, taking them to the cross, and taking them to the grave so that he could raise us up with him, pure and holy and true before God, forgiven, pure. 
This is the story of redemption, and it's the story that God calls us to respond to, to respond by believing in him and putting our faith in him. If you have never done that before, if you've never put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ to be the one who takes you from this place of alienation from God to a place of pure relationship with him, I want to encourage you to do that today, to put your hope and your faith in him, to believe in him, and to commit to following him with your life. If you have put your faith and hope in him before, know this, God has not redeemed us so that we could go about living the way that we always have. He wants to redeem us to a new way of life. So how might God want your life to be transformed as a response to his redemption? Think about those things as I head back to this piano. This piano has been redeemed. It's been brought out of a fire, and its purpose has been restored. But if you look closely at it, you'll notice that it's still scarred. There are still aspects of the piano you can, that you can see where, where the fire uh, did damage. It's a lot like our story. Because we can be redeemed, but we will not be fully restored until Christ comes again. Christ is coming again to make everything right to restore creation to its original goodness. And that is where we're going to pick up the story next week as God's epic continues. Please pray with me. Gracious Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for giving us a new life, for making all things new, as, as Nathan sung about. I just want to take a moment, if one of those questions I asked just resonated with you about taking that step of faith and believing for the first time or wanting to allow God to transform you in some way, I want to give you just a minute to, to do any work with God silently in your heart in prayer, and if that's where you are today. What a beautiful sound to hear that piano, Lord. We thank you for redeeming us. Help us to live our lives in response to that goodness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.